Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Mark. The Gospel record of Mark and chapter number 10. The Gospel record of Mark and chapter number 10. Jesus Christ worked with individuals. He preached to the masses, but he worked with individuals. And he's concerned with individuals. It is God's desire that none, that no one should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. That everyone can know who Jesus Christ is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that he died for the world but he died for individuals to come to have forgiveness of sins. And as we come to the gospel record of Mark chapter number 10, we can see that Jesus Christ is working with an individual concerning his own soul. And so if you wouldn't mind, look with me in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 10. The gospel record of Mark chapter 10, and notice with me starting at verse 17. The gospel record of Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. Notice with me in verse number 1. And when he, that's Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions." And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying amongst themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible." 
Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the world to come eternal life. But the last shall be first, or sorry, that many that are first shall be last and the last first. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is mentioned twice? Notice with me in the gospel record of Mark chapter 10, and notice with me in verse number 17, eternal life, eternal life. Then Jesus mentions it again in verse number 30 at the very end, eternal life. And with the Lord's help, we want to explore what Jesus was teaching here, dealing with this rich young ruler about eternal life. Eternal life. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that you care for the individual soul and that you're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's your desire that every person come to the place where they accept your forgiveness that you offer full free and forever. I'm asking that you would clarify today through this message about what eternal life is and what it is not, how it can be obtained and how it cannot be obtained. So that way it is as clear as possible and answers every objection and every thought. So there would be nothing hindering someone from accepting this free gift of eternal life. Again, you be as clear as possible. I understand that every sermon has to have two births. It must be birthed first of all in the study, then it has to have another birth in the pulpit. We're asking that you would put your life upon it through your precious Holy Spirit. And so the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious Spirit and that you do an eternal work, an amazing work, through what is done today through the preaching of your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Jesus is going about and he's been working with his disciples, he's getting ready to go to another place, and a strange thing happens. A young man comes running up to Jesus Christ and begins to plead with Jesus Christ about eternal life. And as we're approaching this subject, there's a first thing I want to show you concerning the idea of eternal life, is that eternal life cannot be earned. Eternal life cannot be earned. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 17. And when he, that's Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came run, one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. So what happens is that Jesus is getting ready to go. As you could see the crowd preparing to move. This young man comes running to Jesus. Falls down on his knees. And looks to Jesus. And says good master. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
He's heard Jesus talk about eternal life. He's heard others mention it. But he was now thinking about his own soul. Thinking about his own self. And so he figured, I might as well ask. I want to know about this eternal life. And so he comes up and you could see that he already has the wrong thing in mind. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He thought he could do something to earn eternal life. He thought he could do something to make himself worthy. But eternal life is something that is impossible to earn. It's impossible to get. And so as Jesus deals with this young man, we can see that he is dealing with an individual and dealing with him specifically with what his problem, his hang up, his, his thing that is keeping him from having eternal life. Notice this young man and the way that he speaks. He says, what, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You could see this personal pronouns over and over. I, I, my, me. He's still having the idea that I can do this. What can I do? And many people come to this place of eternal life is that they feel like they can do something. They want to help God along. They want to do their part so they feel like they had a part in it. But Jesus is attempting to teach something different with this. Now notice as Jesus begins to deal with this young man. Verse number 18. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Now Jesus here is trying to tie the idea that no one is perfect. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. First of all, he has to let this young man realize that no one is perfect. No one is good enough. There is none righteous, no, not one. He has to bring to this idea, this young man, that he is a sinner. And so notice as Jesus continues to deal with him, to try to show this young man that he is indeed a sinner. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 19. Thou knowest the commandments. So Jesus ties this young man back to the Ten Commandments. And you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Jesus lists a couple of these here. He says, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. So Jesus begins to list some of these ten commandments, and he's trying to say, There's none good, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In order to prove it to you, let's go to the ten commandments. He goes to the young man and says, All right, in order to be perfect, in order for you to go to heaven, you have to keep the ten commandments. So let's take them. The Bible says here, Thou do not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The idea of adultery is the idea of putting love and affection that belong to someone else to someone else. And he says, have you ever done that? We know that the Bible talks about that we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with all of our spirit. He says, have you ever put love and affection that don't belong to someone else. Remember Jesus Christ tied this even higher. He said if you ever looked upon a woman to lust in your mind. You've committed adultery already. Even without doing the act. Just having it in your mind. Putting love and affection that belong to someone else. Even in your own mind. You have violated this principle. You've violated the standard. He says here's another one. Do not kill. 
Now you say, well, that's pretty easy. I haven't ever killed anybody. But Jesus ties in the standard and makes it higher and says, if you ever looked at someone with murder in your heart, if you ever wanted to strangle someone, wanted to choke them, well, then you've committed adultery already. If you've ever hated someone, the Bible says, as Jesus goes through here, do not steal. Don't take those things that don't belong to you. Do you know that we live in a time full of thieves? You say, well, wait a second. Yeah, but have you ever stole your employer's time? They paid you to do a work and you were dishonest with the employer and you stuck, stuck around the uh, coffee machine all day and gossiped with everyone else instead of doing what you were supposed to? Well, you're stealing. It goes beyond just taking cookies from the cookie jar. Have you ever stole? It says, do not bear false witness. Don't tell lies. We live in a society full of liars. In fact, it's just commonplace. Well, telling a little white lie. Say, well, I'm going to tell a little white lie to make someone feel better. Well, God doesn't think it's cute. It's not acceptable unto God. Even the idea of exaggeration is a part of the lying family. Or something called guile. Guile is telling the story, but emphasizing or leaving out some details that make you look better or someone else look worse. That's called guile. Well, the Bible here is talking about that there is none righteous, no, not one. You say, preacher, when you raise the standard that high, no one could reach it. That's what we're trying to say. There is none righteous. No, not one. He goes on and says, defraud not. Don't, don't do trickery to get what you want. Honor thy father and thy mother. Have you obeyed your folks? Have you honored your folks? Have you ever disobeyed your folks? Well, then you've broken that commandment. But notice this young man. Jesus is trying to talk to this young man and he's trying to convince him that he's a sinner. But notice this in verse 20. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. He says, ever since I became a man, I've kept the commandments. I've lived my life perfect. And you know what? We want to give him the benefit of the doubt. We want to believe that this is a good person. He's not a thief. He's honestly trying to live a good moral life. But that wasn't good enough. This is a type of man that you would like your daughters to marry. Not only is he rich, but he's, he's a good moral person. He has some character. He's strived to do what was right. But yet, he wasn't perfect. And this is what Jesus is dealing with him about. Because this man was having a hard time understanding he was a sinner. It reminds me one time I had a, a lady come up in the office. She made an appointment and she was expected. And she wanted to uh, know if we would marry her and her fiancé. And so I said, well, before that, we need to answer some questions. Uh, first of all, are you 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? She goes, no, I'm not really sure. Well, I said, well, good news is that we can know, uh, we, you can know for sure. And I began to explain that we're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. And I said, <laughs> said, well, here, let me show that you're a sinner. I said, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments? And she said, yes. I said, have you ever disobeyed your parents? The Bible says to honor thy father and mother. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? She goes, well, I didn't have parents to correct me. So I never had the opportunity to disobey the parents. Okay. I said, well, the Bible says that 
uh, not to tell lies. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I said, have you ever told a lie? She goes, I try to live my life honestly. I don't remember me ever telling a lie. I said, okay, let's try a different approach. The Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery. That you're supposed to be having, <coughs> not to have any type of extracurricular activity outside of marriage. Have you ever done that? And she looks down at her belly and says, I think so. Well, I, what I'm trying to do is trying to convince her that she was a sinner. And that's the first thing. If someone is going to have eternal life, they must understand that there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have come, sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we have all sinned. Now, as Jesus has dealt with this young man, he has said, let's go to the Ten Commandments. Here's this commandment, this commandment. And the young man looking at Jesus said, I've done all of that. I have strived hard ever since I was a kid. Ever since I was a, a young man, I've strived to keep the commandments. And as best as I know, I've kept the commandments. Well, Jesus had to convince this young man that he was a sinner. Because unless someone thinks, understands they're a sinner, there's nothing to save them from. People don't need a doctor until they realize that they're sick. And so Jesus is dealing with an individual. And the reason why I say that is because he's going to deal with an individual. He's not saying in order to go to heaven, you have to do these things. He's dealing with an individual and trying to show the individual that his heart was wrong, that he was indeed a sinner, and he had to recognize the fact. Notice this as Jesus now answers him. And I want you to notice 21, verse 21 and the language of it. Then Jesus beholding him, notice this, loved him. Jesus loved this man enough to tell him the truth. Jesus loved this young man that he took some time to try to show him that he was a sinner. Now, Jesus wasn't being mean and said, you know what, I'm going to prove to you that you're a sinner. Because Jesus loved him, he had to tell them the truth. In order for this man to receive eternal life, he had to understand and look at himself and recognize the fact he was a sinner. And so because Jesus loved him, notice what Jesus said unto him. One thing thou lackest. So the young man has come to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. Have you kept the commandments? He explained, no one's righteous. Everyone's sin to come short of the glory of God. Let's prove it by the Ten Commandments. And the young man looked at Jesus point blank. I've kept the commandments from my youth up. I've kept the commandments. All right, then there's one thing you lack. One thing that you're missing in your life. One thing that keeps you from being perfect. So the young man's listening. What's the one thing that's keeping me from being a perfect person, having a good life? He says, one thing that thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and take the cross up the cross and follow me. So Jesus said, the one thing that you lack is that possessions possess you. Now remember, Jesus is dealing with an individual. He's not teaching here that in order for you to go to heaven, you have to be poor. Some of you say, I already feel that way. He is not saying that you have to go take on a, a monk and have a, take a vow of poverty. He is not teaching that in order for someone to go to heaven, that you have to be a bum and a beggar. That's not what he is saying. 
What he is pointing out to this young man is that he had lots of possessions, but the possessions possessed him. That he loved his things more than God. Again, he's, Jesus is working with an individual to point out his own problems. That his own issues. He says, there's one thing thou lackest. Go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast. So get rid of everything you have. Sell it. Give that money to the poor. Then thou shalt have treasure in heaven. You're going to have rewards in heaven if you do that. Then come, take up the cross and follow me. Now remember that phrase, take up the cross, in modern terms, we use that as a religious cliche. But Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. When he's talking to this young man, he points over to the Romans who's taking another criminal up to, to uh, death. And the man is carrying part of the cross that he is going to be hung on. Now, when you see someone who's going up with a cross and they're heading towards that hill, you're not going to say, I think I'm going to make a lunch appointment with that guy next week. He's not coming back. He's going to die. There is no future for him. He has ended. And he said, so Jesus says, let's prove that you're not righteous. And he does it in a different way. Go sell everything that you have. Get rid of it and get end your life and give it to me. Follow me. Now again, he's dealing with an individual. He's not trying to say this is what this young man had to do in order to go to heaven. He's teaching this young man that he is a sinner. And that's what's keeping him from having eternal life is that he refuses to admit that he is a sinner. Now, in history, there was another man who dealt with people similar like this, uh, Charles Finney. Some people like him, some people don't like him. And part of it is because they don't under, didn't understand what he was doing. Charles Finney grew up in a small town, and there was a church nearby that they would pray for revival and invite him to come to church. But he watched them as they prayed, and nothing happened. He watched as they they didn't get a hold of God. They would have prayer meetings, but they really wouldn't talk to God. They weren't right with God. They weren't living for God. They were putting on a show. And so Charles Finley, as a non-Christian, will look at him and say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with what it, you have because you're the town gossip. Your problems. But you go to church and look all righteous. I don't want to have it. And because he watched and worked in a town full of people who were pretending to be Christians... It didn't attract him at all. One day, being a lawyer, back in those days, lawyers were required to study the law, the Bible, imagine that, that he read it for himself. And out in the middle of the field, God got a hold of him and he came to know Jesus Christ as a savior. Because of that, he understood a principle that he had to deal with people thoroughly with their sin. For example, there was a time in one of his revival campaigns that the, this a lady came who was well-dressed, big old hoop earrings so big that kids could swing in them, came down to the altar. And he, as he dealt with her, he says, you can't get saved as long as you have those earrings. Now, what was he saying? Was he saying that in order to be right with God, you got to have these? What he was doing is he was pointing out her problem. Her problem was pride and she wanted everyone to see her and acknowledge her. And in order for her to be saved, she had to recognize that she was a sinner. She had a problem and pointed out with her sin. And what Charles Finney would do is he would deal with people thoroughly and then they got 
saved. Now, I don't believe in such a thing as saved, saveder, and savedist. But I do understand a principle that the more lost someone is, the more that they understand what Jesus forgave them about. And because they were forgiven of much, they're thankful and will serve God with much. And so he would deal people thoroughly with the idea that they're a sinner. And when they truly understood that they were a sinner and that they owed God a debt, when they received that gift, it changed their life. That is exactly what Jesus is dealing with this young man about. He's not trying to say that possessions are evil. He's not trying to say that someone who's rich can't get saved. We'll get to that in a second. But what he is saying is that you are a sinner. Here is proof that you're a sinner. Check your own heart. When I say get rid of your stuff inside of his heart, he went, no, I can't do that. And it was evidence, it was proof to him that he wasn't perfect. That he wasn't righteous. That he wasn't the stand. Now again, Jesus isn't being mean and trying to belittle him. He has to point out that he is a sinner. In order for someone to get saved or delivered, you have to realize that you owe God a punishment because you're a sinner. So Jesus is dealing with this young man to prove it. Now, notice what happens to this man. So after he hears the truth that he's a sinner and he realizes that he's not perfect, what, how does he respond? Verse 22, And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved. For he had great possessions. So instead of this man admitting that possessions had him, instead of admitting that he was a sinner, he got up and walked away. He still had all of his stuff. But that young man died and went to hell. Let me remind you that this isn't a story. This is a real historical account. And that rich young man is in hell now. A real place. Because he could not admit, would not admit, that he was a sinner. He thought he was good enough. He thought he could get by with how good he is. You know, many people have that problem. The Bible talks about that in order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. This is what Jesus was dealing with him. Trying to say that you're not perfect. There are many people I know that believe that heaven is a weight system. That if my good works somehow outweigh my bad, I'll be able to slide right in. But it doesn't work that way. Maybe I could give an example. The Bible says that in order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. But none of us are perfect. Let's say that I lived a good life. And that all I did living a great life was sin three times a day. I broke the speed limit. I told a little white lie and I got mad at my wife. Now, if that's all I did in one day, that's living a great life. May I admit to you that I don't live that good of a life now? I wish I did, but let's just say, for example's sake, that I only did three sins a day. Do you know that the end of one year, just sinning three sins a day, I would have racked up 1,000 sins? At age 20, only sinning three times a day, that would be 20,000 sins. At age 50, just sinning three sins a day, little white small stuff, that would have been 50,000 sins to my account. And may I also remind you that none of us live that good of a life. 
But for illustration's sake, let's say that you lived a great life, sinned three t- sins a day, and died at age 50 with 50,000 sins to your account. You stood before a holy, righteous God who cannot allow any sin. Would you look as good at anymore? Would you look that good? Of course not. You see, the problem is, is that we're all sinners and we've all sinned that come short of the glory of God. The qualifications to get into heaven is that we have to be perfect, but there is none righteous. No, not one. The problem is, is that we're all sinners and that if we're going to work with people, that's the first thing they have to recognize. Until they realize that they're a sinner, there's nothing more we could do with them. And that's what happened here. Because this man would not admit that he was a sinner, he walked away. There was nothing more that could be done with him until he first realized this point. That brings us to a second thing. That first of all, eternal life cannot be earned. You cannot live a good enough life. You cannot do enough things to earn eternal life. So the second thing here is that eternal life cannot be bought. Eternal life cannot be bought bought. Notice with me in verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples. Now imagine this crowd. This rich young ruler came running up, made a big deal of falling before Jesus' face. Jesus deals with him and the man just gets up and walks away. And you could imagine the whole crowd looking at this young man walking away. And as he's walking away, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. They were amazed at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What he is saying here is that people who are rich, they're not evil, but they end up trusting their own wealth, their own skill, their own ability to get things done. Instead of a trusting and accepting a free gift. There's something about the idea to take a free gift. You say, I don't have a problem with that. Oh yeah? Next time you go out to go eat, see if you fight for the check. Why do you fight for the check? Pride. You say, well, pastor told me I don't have to fight for the check anymore. I'm good. No. But you, you understand, we have a hard time accepting generosity. We feel like we've got to do something. We've got to pay them back. We've got to do something. Well, Jesus is giving us the greatest gift of all. And we feel like we've got to help them along. We've got to do something with it. We, we could do it ourselves. I can trust myself. I could pay enough money. Interesting enough, several years ago, USA Today uh, reported the results of a worldwide survey of the wealthiest 1% of U.S. households. The wealthiest 1%. These are the people who have um, an annual income of at least 250000 or as at least worth $2.5 million. So they didn't interview us. They interviewed the top 1% of the wealth of the United States at that time. And what they did is they said, what, anything is, is available, what would you buy if you could buy anything with money, and what would you be willing to pay for it? And so they had several answers. Here's the top five. 
Number five would be eternal youth. And they said the top 1% wealth of the world said that they would be willing to pay $259,000 if they could have eternal youth. The top 1% of the world said that if they could have, buy anything with money, they would buy talent. That was number four. They would buy a talent, some sort of skill or ability, and they'd be willing to pay $285,000 if they could turn it over, give that money, and get a talent. Some, number three, would be great intellect and that they would be willing to pay $407,000 if they could get great intellect. Number two would be true love and they would be willing to pay estimate of about a half a million dollars if they could give the money and get back true love. But number one, far and above everything else, if the top 1% of the world, they were interviewed, what would they, if they could pay their money for anything in the world, anything real or imagined, if they could pay anything, what would they buy and how much would they be willing to pay for it? Number one, above and everything else, would be a place in heaven. And the average, uh, the top 1% of the world said that they would be willing to pay close to a million dollars to guarantee them a place in heaven. But you know, eternal life cannot be bought. It is a free gift. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, what was their response? They were astonished. Out of measure. Meaning their tongues were wagging out. Their eyes were bulging out. Their jaws dropped. What? What? Because people like to trust themselves. They want to buy. They could recognize they're a sinner. But they want to do something. If they had in mind that I could slay a dragon in order to go to heaven. They would do that. Even Martin Luther, the, the um, great reformer. He was a Catholic priest and he tried to do everything he could to earn eternal life. He took times where he would beat himself and try to earn God's favor and mercy by beating himself. There was times he starved himself so much that the other monks had to actually force feed him. He finally made a trip to Rome and in Rome supposedly they had what was called pilot stairs where legend says it used to be in Jerusalem but the Catholics brought it to Rome. But a place where they could crawl up the same steps that Jesus went to get judgment and that they said that if you really were a devote Catholic you could prove and earn merit is if you climbed up the stairs with your knees and each step you would pray to God and show your worthiness to him and Martin Luther did that and crawled up those steps with his knees and it seemed to him that every step he took he was reminded of the verse in the Bible that says the just shall live by faith the just shall live by faith the just shall live by faith and it was soon afterwards where he realized the just shall live by faith. I can't do anything to earn God's favor. I can't do anything to earn God's forgiveness. I can't do anything to get God's attention. 
It is the gift of God. For example, if I was to hand someone a gift and say, this is your gift, what must you do to make that yours? That's right. Did you have to be, um, pay me money for it? Did you have to mow my lawn? You didn't even have to be nice to me. All you had to do was take it. The same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little old ladies cross the street. What gets us to heaven then? Recognizing that we're a sinner. And because of our sin, we've offended a holy, righteous God. But that Jesus paid the price for you. And all you have to do is receive that free gift. That's as easy as it is to receive that free gift. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't. Notice as Jesus sums up this, and G, verse 27, or verse 26, and they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? That's a good question. Who can be saved? Notice Jesus' answer to that question. Verse 27, Jesus looking upon them said, with men it is impossible. With man there is no way he can save himself. With man there is no way he can make himself righteous. With man there is no way he can deliver himself from the punishment that he owed. With man there is no way to make himself perfect. With man it is impossible. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. It is only God who can allow sinful man to be able to go to heaven. It is only by God that God can forgive us of our sins. It is only by God that he paid the price with his own blood on Calvary. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all. Things are possible. It is God who makes salvation available. Jesus did all the work. There was nothing you can do about it. And there's nothing you can do to help him. It was finished when Jesus Christ arose from the grave. It was done. The payment is over. God is satisfied with the payment. There was nothing left to pay. Jesus has done it all. Let me even remind you that even a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. That all you do when you pray is you're receiving that gift that God is handing out to you. Jesus did all the work. There is nothing you can do except accept that gift that God gave to you. It is impossible. Which brings me to the third thing. That first of all we said eternal life cannot be earned. Eternal life cannot be bought. But eternal life can be given out for free. Eternal life can be given out for free. Notice as Jesus continues with this. Uh, and the disciples were watching. I want you to think about the disciples. Many of them have given up everything. Many of them have given up their fishing business. Some of them walked away from their family. Like J uh, James and John walked away from their father Zebedee. They left their business, they left their lifestyle, and they followed Jesus. And yet they watched this young man who is rich come up, ask Jesus, talk to Jesus, and then he walked away. When he walked away, he gave up nothing except eternal life. 
But he still held all of his possessions. He didn't lose a single thing. Which made the disciples start thinking about their own lives. And they go, hey, we don't have anything. The gospel records uh, talk about this. But here's the idea that the disciples push Peter. and say, Peter, you ask him. And they push Peter up front and say, so Peter begins to speak in verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake, and notice this, and for the gospels. That's for the gospel's sake. Over and over, Jesus ties in his sake and the gospel's sake wrapped up together. He says, Anyone who's given up anything so that they can go get deliver the gospel, notice what he said, verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and brothers and children and lands with persecutions. Notice the persecutions go along with that. You're going to follow up God and give things up there. You're going to get persecuted. But guess what? And in the world to come, eternal life. He says, there's going to be rewards later on for you giving up. Remember, God is a debtor to no man. And the things that you give up for God, you'll never lack in. God will take care of it. He says, you look at that man. He looks like he gave up nothing, but he gave up everything. But boys, let me tell you, it looks like you gave up everything, but you gained everything. You didn't lose out. You didn't give up anything to follow after God. You know why we serve God? Not in order to get something from Him. We follow God because of what He has already done for us. We're not trying to get something from Him. We're thankful that what He's done and we're following after Him. Jesus here is explaining that eternal life can be given out. That this is a free gift. I want you to imagine that you were able to invent, you discovered a pill to get rid of every cancer. That'd be a pretty powerful pill. And that you also discovered that you can make it effortlessly and you could pretty much give it out for free. That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? But you said, I could either pass this out, but I think I'm going to sit on it. Wouldn't you be guilty if people died and they could have had it? Absolutely. When you could have given them what they needed so they didn't have to suffer. They didn't have to go through it. They didn't have to go through loss. They didn't have to go through the pain. That you could have freed them from that. But you chose to sit on it. We have something better than a pill. God has given them eternal life for their soul forever. And it's free. They don't have to do anything. All we have to do is get it out to them. You say that seems to be an impossible task. In the late 18, or 1980s, Coca-Cola, the soft drink, made a determination that they were going to make Coca-Cola available to every person in the world. The deepest, darkest jungles, the hidden places that they made a campaign and on purpose made a effort to make sure that Coca-Cola was available, that everyone in the world had the opportunity to taste Coca-Cola. And by the early 1990s, they said they succeeded. 
Now as cool and refreshing as Coca-Cola may be, it's not the same of eternal life. And if Coca-Cola could make a concerted effort to make sure that everyone in the world had the opportunity to taste Coca-Cola, don't you think that we have something more important that the world needs to know? It's free. And it covers forever. The world needs to know about it. And so as the disciples are looking, and for a moment they're looking at all this stuff, and they're thinking about what they could have now, houses and lands and comfort. They could have all this stuff now. But they gave it up. They set it aside. And Jesus said, you didn't lose a single thing. In fact, you're going to have more than you ever expected. Because you decided to give your life for my sake and the gospel's sake. Do you know that there are many people, millions of people who are dying and going to an awful place called hell unless someone tells them the good news? But we're not talking about across the world. We're talking about your next door neighbor. The person at the gas station. All the Walmart people. They need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a single person in the Green Bay, in the Fox Valley, in Seymour that's going to make it to heaven without Jesus Christ. And if they don't hear, how can they receive that gift? We have something more important that the world needs. And the world can't get it by earning it. They cannot be good enough. They can't pay for it. They just need someone to hand it out to them. And let them receive it. The whole world needs this message. We have that responsibility. Of making sure that they don't perish. Now not everyone will accept. Here's a rich young ruler that dealt with Jesus Christ. And he walked away not saved. Our goal is not to save everyone. Because we can't save anyone. Our purpose is to make sure that they receive the good news. Then they make their own decision based off that information. But everyone needs to know so they can make their own choice. That is our purpose. That is what God has given us to do. We have the good news. What are we doing with it? Especially... Since it costs them nothing to receive that gift, it is free. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. 
there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.